Greetings. Y'all can talk if you want to. We can say something or respond. Greetings for, for many of you. That means good morning, whether you're here uh, for our, the service that we're recording for Sunday morning. It's Saturday morning. We have a few that are here this morning, and many of you are watching online uh, Sunday morning. Some of you are going to be watching later, not live, but later, and, and greetings to you as well. Uh, my, my prayer this morning as I, as I thought about this service is that you know, where, whenever we join in this service physically, that there will be a sense of community with all who are a part of it. That, that God will bind us together and, and, and there will be a sense of community such that, 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 that God is able to speak into our lives, believing that God has something in mind for each of us to tell us this morning. It probably won't be the exact same thing. But that's the beauty of our God. He can have that, that many conversations in one church service, whether it's Saturday morning or Sunday morning or Sunday evening or whenever you're joining us. We're happy that you're here. Many of you know this already because uh, I've talked about it in, in past messages that, that uh, I'm a big, I like history. In fact, other than math, it was my, my favorite uh, subject in high school. And I like to watch movies that are, that are based on actual historical events. And one of my favorite movies that falls into this category is a, is a movie called Glory. And it tells the story of the first all-black regiment of soldiers who, who served for the Union Army in the, in the Civil War. And it was commanded by a, a man named Robert Shaw, who takes uh, this unit in, in order to be able to receive a promotion. And, and the movie is based on letters that he wrote while he led this regiment Letters that were sent to his family, and they kept, and, and, and there were letters that he, he, he wrote before he was, he was killed in battle. That's a spoiler alert for those of you who haven't watched the movie yet. Um, the movie depicts many challenges that this regiment of all-black soldiers called the 54th that they faced, that, that they endured. The, the Confederacy, they issued an edict shortly after the Emancipation Proclamation, the one that freed all slaves that Lincoln... Uh, declared and also allowed black men to, to, to enlist in the Union Army, the Confederacy uh, said that any black soldier uh, that would be uh, captured during the war, if they were a slave before, they would be returned to slavery. If they were free before, they would be executed. And, and the men of this regiment, they were given the, the option to have an honorable discharge, and the vast majority of that regiment turned down that offer. From the Union side, they faced struggles as well. The, the soldiers were denied some basic supplies like, like new shoes. They were paid less than the Union soldiers. The regiment was reduced to, to mop-up duty after battles rather than being a part of the fight itself. And the movie, it, it takes a turn when Shaw is finally able to, to get his regiment into battle, one that they, they won. And, and, and as the movie heads towards its dramatic conclusion, Shaw volunteers this 54th Regiment to, to, to lead the assault on Fort Wagner. And the thing was, everyone knew that the lead regiment would suffer heavy casualties because there was only a, this, this narrow strip of, of open beach that could be used to actually get to the fort. That there was a suffering that this regiment 
endured. And, and the reason I follow this movie this week and the reason I'm talking about it this morning as a part of our message is because, it, 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 to me, it, it goes along with bringing to mind the, the, what the mission of Jesus is about as we look at this passage from the Gospel of Mark this morning. Last week and this week, we were spending time in the Gospel of, of Mark. And it's now in an unofficial series, two-week series, that I'm calling the, the, the Mission of Jesus. And, and during this two-week series, we're asking ourselves epiphany questions. We're in the season of epiphany, and that, that's about the revelation of God. And, and, and so just like last week, I want us to, to keep these two questions in our minds as we explore this, this next passage of Mark. And the two questions are, just to, as a reminder, or for those of you who weren't able to be with us last week, what does this passage reveal about God? And the other one is this. What does this passage, passage reveal about God's expectations for me, for us? Last week we learned that, that God reveals he is a personal God. He's one who, who places himself in the middle of our need. He desires to bring healing in every way, especially the healing that restores our relationship with him through the forgiveness of sin. And, and there's a freedom we get to, to live for him as he created us to live through the power of the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, that Spirit who is with us, leading and guiding God's expectation for us from last week is to join Jesus in this mission of healing, to be his presence in the lives of people. And an important part of, of, of being a part of that mission is finding times to get away and to get recharged and to get refocused so that we don't lose sight of that mission. Now we're going to fast forward from Mark chapter 1 to Mark chapter 9 and read about a supernatural event that will reveal another important piece of, of Jesus' mission here on earth. And, and in church tradition, this event is called the Transfiguration. And this Sunday on the, on the Christian calendar, this uh, is Transfiguration Sunday or the last Sunday of Epiphany. So we're going to be looking at this, this supernatural event. It's in verses 2 through 9 of Mark chapter 9. And if you want to, you can find that passage uh, in, in, in your Bible, or if there's a Bible app, the version that you'd like to use, that's fine. Or if you just want to be able to, to hear the word of God as it's spoken in community, then you can do that too. And if you're able, whether you're here or at home or wherever you are, and if you're able to stand, I invite you to do that in reverence as we hear from the word of God together. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were all terrified. Then a cloud, it overshadowed them. And from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, my beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Now, as they were coming down from the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen 
until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can go and have a seat. So like the title of the movie of the 54th Regiment, this, this supernatural event, which we also can find an account of it in, in the Gospels of Matthew and, and Luke as well, this, this supernatural event is all about glory. Jesus' clothes, they're, they're so bright, they're blinding. There's, there, there's no way any bleach could make his clothes as white as they were on that mountain. And, and they're on this high mountain when this happened, and, and, this, and being on a high mountain, it points to encountering God and the disciples, Peter, James, and John, they would have known the Old Testament stories about big things that took place on mountains, like when Moses received his call from God through a bush that wouldn't burn up on a mountain. And, and on a mountain later, Moses received the Ten Commandments from God. Elijah, he faced off against hundreds of prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And then later, he, he encountered the presence of God after that battle whenever he was at a very low point in a cave on a mountain when he, he heard God's still voice following the fire and the wind and the earthquake. And then, as they're thinking about all these memories, Moses and Elijah, they actually show up. Two of the biggest leaders of the Israelites in the Old Testament who, who lived hundreds of years earlier are standing right there next to Jesus, talking to him right in front of their eyes. And then a cloud envelops them. And this cloud would also bring back rich memories for these disciples of glorious moments and memories from the Old Testament, like when the cloud guided the Israelites to freedom from the Egyptian army. And when a cloud rested on Mount Sinai, and Moses received the Ten Commandments. And clearly they knew the presence of God was there with them. And, and it's, it's overwhelming for Peter. He's always the one that speaks up, right, whenever there's things going on. And, and he wants to build houses for everyone. He wants to be able just to, to stay in that moment for as long as he possibly can. And it's a massive photo opportunity for him. And this is what he meant when he boldly declared six days earlier in front of all the other disciples that Jesus was the Messiah. And this is even greater than the glory that he imagined whenever he made that declaration back then. And I believe that Mark clearly wants us to have that confession of Peter and what Jesus says afterward in our minds as we witness this, this supernatural event. This is why Mark starts the, the story off, that it took place six days later. And Matthew and Mark, they record the transfiguration. They also record Peter's declaration that Jesus is the Messiah right before this event, and then what also Jesus says after that. And, and what we need to grab a hold of so that we can understand what God is revealing about himself, what we need to grab a hold of is what Jesus says after Peter makes that grand declaration. You see, after Peter says that, Jesus starts to talk to his disciples for the first time about his mission to, to go to Jerusalem where he'll suffer and die. And this is not 
what, what Peter had in mind when he declared that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, he immediately rebukes Jesus for saying it. For saying it. And Jesus rebukes him right back. He rebukes Peter right back and says he's thinking more like a human and not like God. And so it must have been comforting for Peter after mulling over what Jesus said for six days to experience the glory that was on top of that mountain with the transfiguration. But the thing is, to understand the mission of Jesus, we can't separate the transfiguration of Jesus from what he says six days earlier. We have to put this all together to understand what God's revealing about himself. And it's this. Into our world, God has revealed himself. He has done so in a personal flesh and blood and bone kind of way. And he reveals that his son will be glorified because of his suffering. From this supernatural transfiguration story, we clearly see Jesus, that he's confirming to Peter and James and John and to Mark's audience who's reading this gospel that he is indeed the glorious Messiah. God even says it out loud. This is my son, the one whom I love. But then God adds this. Listen to him. Listen to him. In other words, listen to what he just told you. You don't have the complete picture just from this glorious scene on this, this high mountain with this cloud and all the things that are going on. Listen to him tell you that he must suffer. Listen to him tell you that he will be rejected by religious leaders. Listen to him tell you that he will be killed because of this. Listen to him tell you that the glory you see here on this mountain will, will, will be fully realized when he rises from the dead three days later after he's crucified on a cross. God reveals this about himself. He loves us so much he will suffer for us. But that suffering, it, it will lead to triumph and glory. But Jesus is revealing, or God is revealing that his son's mission is a mission of suffering. Isn't God good? I think we should stop right now and sing about that. Sing about the goodness of God and, and just take a break from this from this, from this proclamation of word to do that. And then when we come back, we're going to look at another supernatural event in the Old Testament that involves one of the guys that it, we see during the transfiguration. And this will help us to better understand what God is revealing about his expectations for us. Let's worship. Join our voices as we continue to worship this morning. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held.
mission is a mission of suffering. Through this supernatural transfiguration event, we, we find the gospel of Mark and through what Jesus says right before it, God reveals that he's a personal God who has sent his son to be, to be with us and to suffer for us and to die for us, which leads to glory when he rises from the dead. 
But what about his expectations for us? In 2 Kings chapter 2, in the Old Testament, we find a story involving Elijah and his protege, Elisha. Names that sound very familiar, or very similar to each other, which makes this story that I'm going to tell you a little fun. Uh, Elisha's time as a prophet is coming to an end. And God was about to take him. Elijah knew it, and Elisha knew it, too. And, and as Elijah made his way to the end of his time here on earth, he, he told Elisha to, to wait, to, to stay where he was. Elijah, it seemed like he was intent in making this final journey alone. But Elijah says strongly, I will not leave you. Some of the prophets, they're, they're following Elijah and Elisha. And they, they remind Elisha, God is taking Elijah today. And Elisha says to them, I know, I know, be quiet. Two more times on the journey, Elijah tells Elisha to, to stay but Elisha, he refuses to, to leave him. And finally they reach their destination, which is the Jordan River. And, and, and the prophets who are following, they hang back as, as Elijah causes the Jordan River to, to divide. And, and the prophets cross over to the other side on, on dry ground. And, and when they reach the other side, Elijah, he, he asks Elisha, what is it you want? And Elijah's response is this, I want a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah's response is, that's not easy. But if you see me taken away, you will receive it. And so they continue to walk. When all of a sudden, a supernatural event occurs. A, a chariot of fire with horses of fire, it comes down from heaven, and it takes Elijah away. And, and much like Peter, Elisha responds in awe as he watches this, this glorious scene. And then after Elijah is gone, he, he just filled with grief and mourns. And, and after he's done doing that, he takes the cloak Elijah was wearing that, that is now his, and he, he carries it with him to the Jordan River. And, and just like Elijah, he, he causes the river to divide, and, and he crosses over to join the group of prophets who are waiting on the other side. Two things stand out to me from this story. One is Elijah's request, a double share of Elijah's spirit. And it makes me look ahead to the Gospels. It makes me go to the upper room when Jer when, where Jesus shared one final meal with his disciples before he was arrested and, and, the, and the events of, of, of the Holy Weekend come about. And at one point, Jesus says to them, you're filled with grief because... I've said these things. I've told you what's going to happen. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In that same conversation, Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, whenever, or whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And this Elisha story, it reminds me of what Jesus said. Elisha asked to receive a double portion of the spirit of Elijah so he could do what Elijah did and, and even do greater things. 
And, and right after Elijah leaves, Elisha is able to, to part the Jordan River just like Elijah did. And so now we see Jesus telling his disciples, hundreds of years later, that they will receive the Spirit when Jesus goes away after he rises from the dead. And they will do what Jesus has been doing and will do even greater things than Jesus did. And this is mind-blowing to me. It's hard to believe, but this is what Jesus said. The other thing that stands out to me from the story of Elisha and Elijah was how Elisha stayed with Elijah on the journey. He resisted the temptation to hang back, to, to not be all in with Elijah. And it's simple but profound as we think about what God is revealing about his expectations of us. Last week we talked about how cool it would be to spend 24 hours with Jesus here on earth, remember? And we did that in the gospel, marking that passage. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The, 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 the best things are going to happen not whenever you're with me on earth, but, but whenever I give you my spirit. Now I'll do greater things through you when you have my spirit. So what is God revealing about his expectations of us? Well, let's go back to the transfiguration story first as we think about that. What does God say from the cloud? Listen to him. Listen to what Jesus said six days earlier. After Jesus tells them that he will suffer, he goes on. He invites a crowd in, and he tells his disciples and that crowd to take up their cross, to accept his mission of suffering. And it means losing their lives to save them. It means choosing your soul over gaining the world. It means boldly proclaiming the gospel, the word of God, through our actions and our words. And we'll be equipped to do this because we receive God's spirit. God expects us to listen to Jesus, to, to join him in this mission of suffering. And to do this, we must stay with Jesus, like Elisha stayed with Elijah. And when we do this, we will receive his spirit, the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, who is with us now, speaking to us, guiding us, convicting us, encouraging us, strengthening us, especially during those times of suffering. I think back to the church that formed after Jesus left. And, and like Jesus promised, they received the Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And as we read through the remainder of the book of Acts, we see a church that shared the gospel, and they lived in community together, and they also suffered together. And the church grew exponentially. And I often wonder if the church is best when it's suffering rather than being in power. Did some reading on the history of the church this week because this was on my mind, and particularly in the medieval period. Hundreds of years after the church of the book of Acts suffered, the status of the church would, would change. And beginning with Constantine, the Roman emperor, late, during that time, the church actually prospered. Laws were made to benefit Christianity over other religions. Money and other resources were given, and large churches were built. Church leaders were given political positions. And eventually the church was in a position of power 
alongside the empire and, and, and help call the shots. And some bad things happened as popes made decrees that benefited the church and the empire they were a part of. One decree encouraged Christians to spread Christianity into empty lands, which actually meant any place where Christians weren't in control. Force should be used if necessary. And this was the motivation behind the Crusades where Christians would, from Europe, invade Muslims in the Middle East. Another creed said Christians had permission to, to invade, to search out, to capture, to vanquish, to subdue any enemies of Christ, and even take their people as slaves. And this decree, it, it justifies slavery that was starting to take place in Europe. And that justification from the church would continue in many, parts of the, in many, in many ways for hundreds of years. And during this time of power of the church, they, they lost the sight of the message of the gospel and, and to love Jesus and to love like Jesus. And instead, their position of power caused them to align with the empire and do things that would support and strengthen it. John Wesley, a church leader who has, has been major in shaping our, our church, the Church of the Nazarene's theology, he looked back at that time around Constantine and he made this this observation. I mean, this is a quote from him. Persecution never did, never could give any lasting wound to genuine Christianity. But the greatest wound it ever received, the grand blow which was struck on the very root of that humble, gentle, patient love, which is the fulfillment of the, of Christ, of the Christian law, that, which is the whole essence of, of true religion, that, that blow that was struck in the 4th century by Constantine the Great when he called himself a Christian and poured in a flood of riches and honors and powers upon the church. And, and in my mind, I think about the early church and their suffering and, and the medieval church and its power. And I think that we're in the right place to do greater things for Jesus when we embrace his mission of suffering over desiring to be in a position of power. What does it mean to suffer? Does it mean followers of Jesus have a death wish? I don't believe it necessarily means that. I don't think it means that. But as we think about what it means to suffer, I'm drawn to Wesley's covenant prayer. So a prayer that we pray as a church at the beginning of every calendar year. And there's a phrase which says, put me to suffering. And, and, and there's a book that Dele, my wife Dele and I have been in th this year, it's called the 21 Days, uh, 21 Day Wesley Covenant Prayer Challenge. And, and, and in it, one day is focused on that phrase, put me to suffering. And, and the book helps me to, to, to understand a bit of what, what that phrase is about as it provides some good direction. It's not about asking God to make us suffer for the sake of suffering, but for us to pray, even if it's costly, I want to do your will, O Lord. It means we resist the desires of this world. And, and for me, as I think about this today, I, I hear this and, and believe one thing that it means is that we don't allow the world or our culture to dictate the, the story, the narrative by which we live. We, we allow God's word to do this. Suffering equals sacrifice. It means we purge anything that's keeping us from staying with Jesus 
because we make that the highest priority. And, and there are things that, that can fall in that category, work, career, success, possessions, image, pleasure, or feeling good. It's anything that consumes us and pulls us away from Jesus. It means that we're willing to give up what we believe we're entitled to when, when, when the, these things get in the way of living the way that Jesus lived. A life that was marked by love and peace and hope and forgiveness and compassion and mercy. So why is the movie about the 54th Regiment called Glory? The night before that group of black soldiers led the charge of Fort Walker, they had a church service. In that service, they, they sung and then they embraced their suffering. Why did they do that? Because there was the glory that came in the suffering, a glory that would come from them giving their lives, if necessary, as soldiers. The glory that's revealed to us, it's even greater than, than that. And it almost feels too good to be true. God reveals that his son will suffer, leading to a cross and the forgiveness of sins. And, and the glory comes fully when Jesus rises from the dead. And we are empowered to join him in his mission because of the spirit that's given to us. And this is going to happen as we make the constant choice to stay with Jesus. God's expectation of us is to, to listen to Jesus and his invitation to follow the way of the cross. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the mission of Jesus. Let's pray. Well, Father, there's lots of ways that we can respond to your word this morning. We've already responded in thankfulness through proclaiming it in your word and through singing it, that you're good. And we praise you for how good you are and how faithful you are and how you, you stay with us. You're there for us. You're, 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 you're near and respond whenever we reach out to you. And we give you thanks for that. There's a tremendous call here as we ponder your expectations for us as we listen to your son. The way of the cross is not easy. It's not fun to suffer. We, you're not calling us to go out and just look for suffering, but you're, you're calling us to live out the gospel, to love like your son, to love others like your son, to, love, to, to, to be so in love, to stay with your son so much that we're willing to suffer if, if it means that we have to take a stand as we live out the gospel. We pray you'll give us the wisdom to understand what that means and the strength to do it as, as, you, as you call on us to do so. We pray this in the master's name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to sing now a closing song. It's a, it's a, it's a blessing song. We've sung in a couple of, of weeks now. And this is a community song. Whether we're here right now in this room, live on Saturday, or we're online together on Sunday morning together, or you're watching it later, my desire is, is that as we sing this song, you hear us singing it to each other. 
for God's blessings on our lives. Let's sing together.